different for yesterday, isn't it? We were praising God down here yesterday at uh, Saturday Breakfast Connect for the rain. Beautiful, beautiful rain. And that was cold, though. It was um, a bit like the winter time. Oh, yeah. The, some of the crews, at any rate, were um, cycling yesterday against the rain and the wind. So it was pretty cold for them. I think you had a 3.30 a.m. start. <laughs> wow. You sat in the rain. In the wind, <laughs> well, we've been praying for rain, haven't we? So it's a wonder, wonderful, wonderful to see that that rain. Well, um, last week when we had we had Craig O'Sullivan here, of course, and he delivered our discussion point. And early on, he said, "Well, I actually had something prepared." He was uh, going to talk about pursuing God. And uh, he really didn't get past hiding from God. <laughs> and it's funny, you know, because uh, I usually spend quite a bit of time on Saturday putting together the discussion point for uh, Sunday Morning Connect. And uh, I've usually been thinking about it all through the week. And so on Saturday, I come to write everything up. We do a PowerPoint presentation. I'm not, I usually have a lot of notes. Um, underneath what you, you actually see up here on, on the screen. And uh, I was sitting down at my dining table this morning, reading through my notes, and I just had this uneasy feeling that I wasn't going to use it. Not this week. And uh, just as the guys were starting up in worship, I really felt the Lord say, I want you today to focus on some fundamentals about who we are and how we relate to the Lord or perhaps how he relates to us. Sorry, you just have to talk to me in plain English. Ah, I got so keen, I forgot all about Children's Church. I really am so sorry, children. This, just for those of you who don't know, this is my daughter and I really do need her in my life because... <laughs> I forget some things. I keep telling you, I'm practising to be a senior pastor. <laughs> you know, because senior pastors are just hopeless to manage, right? Just in case you've never noticed, you, you can't rely on them to do anything right. And uh, so we, we have um, sent the children out. And I know the reason why Aisley was keen is, I think she's running children's church today. Oh, she's helping. Oh, well, it'll be good anyway, whatever happens. And... Um, just a couple of other things too while I'm at it, now that we're doing notices. <laughs> um, Jeanette and I are going away to the state conference of Australian Christian churches. We'll leave pretty well straight after church today. We'll be away for the full week. So we won't be doing our normal Monday morning prayer, but don't forget to set aside some time to pray for Ignite Life Church tomorrow. So there won't be any prayer down here at 8 o'clock tomorrow. And there won't be Saturday Brecky Connect either because we'll still be away. And, um, yep, we don't usually go away. We're not usually away on weekends, but we've decided to tack on a couple of extra days after the conference just to kick our heels up and relax a little bit. So, basically, the place will be closed from after church today until next Sunday morning. Okie duck. All right. Uh, but after that, there'll be plenty of life. Don't you worry about that. 
So what I wanted to do today, I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and I know Helen will be happy about it because I haven't actually said much about Genesis chapter 1 for a long time. But um, when I, I'm in conversation with people, I often draw them back to Genesis chapter 1 because there's something which is really foundational about who we are, which is expressed in Genesis chapter 1. A few weeks ago, I was making a, a video for my good friend Wes Hone, who, by the way, is the best business coach on the planet. And I've known Wes for about 10 years now, and I've seen how his whole approach to business coaching has developed over the years, and, and he gets more and more biblical as time goes on. Absolutely phenomenal. Wonderful man. And um, right at the end of the video, we've been videoing for about an hour or so, he says, well, what's your favourite scripture? And it's pretty hard often to identify a favourite, but I said, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And the reason it's my favourite is that it really defines who we are. It, it is where we get our value from as, as human beings, as created beings. But it actually goes a lot further than that because it defines for us our role in the earth our role in this life. So let me read to you Genesis 1, 26 to 28. This, this comes towards the end of the, the period of creation. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over all the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing. That creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So by the way, that should put to rest any arguments about whether or not men and women were created equal. They were. Right back there in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, God makes it very clear that there is no hierarchy between men and women. But the real point I want to make here. This is where God gives us dominion. Now, the God we're talking about, of course, is the God who created the universe. By his word, everything that exists, exists. And it's by his word that everything continues to exist. This is the God whom if he withdrew his breath, everything that exists would simply cease to be. Have you ever been in the presence of an important person? Perhaps a prime minister, a member of some royal family, maybe the CEO of a major corporation. You know, sometimes you have a little bit of a sense of awe of somebody who has position and power, perhaps who has, who has wealth. I've sat with multi-billionaires and you do have a bit of a sense of awe. I've, I've, I've met prime ministers, I've met premiers. I, I uh, had a conversation with the, the prime minister, the, the guy who's now prime minister of New Guinea, James Morappi. And that day he was in shorts and a shirt and sandals. 
And a nice guy, Christian, by the way, Christian man. But whenever you're rubbing shoulders with, with people who have some senior role in our society, you, you have this a kind of a little sense of awe. But you know, this God we're talking about, this is the God who created everything. Everything. But this is what he said. Let them have dominion. You know, the ancients would have understood this in terms of a king or a local leader conferring upon people the right to look after what the king or the the Lord owned. And here we have God, actually, the royal, the king who sits above all kings throughout the whole of human history, the prime minister who sits above all prime ministers throughout the whole of human history, the one who not only created but owns everything in the universe, in creating earth and in creating us, He gave us a royal delegation. He actually put us over everything he created in the earth as his representatives. And we're his representatives in two senses. First, the Bible assures us that we're made in his image. That doesn't necessarily mean that physically God looks like any of us. What it does mean, however, is that we have the character of God. We're created to reflect that character. And we're also created with creative capacities. That's why it says in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue. We can actually create using our own words. It's worth thinking about what it means that the God of the universe has given us a royal delegation. And we've seen, of course, in Revelation uh, chapter 5, where we are referred to there as kings and priests. Some translations say we're a kingdom of, of priests. We have dominion. We're made in His image. So all of creation senses the presence of God when we're around. But not only do we represent God in the sense that we're made in His image, we we carry His mark, we carry His character. We've also been delegated by Him to rule over everything that he's placed in the earth. And that includes all the inanimate as well as the animate. And the Bible says here, the fish, the birds, but it also says all the earth. And when you think about that, that's a pretty big thing. 
God, G-O-D, three little letters, one of the shortest words you'll ever find in a dictionary. But he's the God who created the whole of the universe. And in the act of creating us human beings, he said, I delegate you, I give you royal authority, I give you royal power over everything that I've created. (coughs) But you see, God is pretty smart. If we turn over to Psalm 8, we'll see another reference to us having dominion. It's just taking me a little while to get there. Starting at verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honour. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that passes through the paths of the seas. So here we're placed, as it were, in the hierarchy of creation, a little lower than the angels, but we're crowned with glory and honour. So if you know much about the history of kings and queens, this is a reference to the kind of honour systems that have developed throughout human history. But we have the honour of being God's representatives on earth. And you know, even if you're not a Christian, In a sense, you still are because everybody is made in his image. Fundamentally, every person on this planet carries the image of God. It's outworked in creative capacity. It's outworked in our need for relationship with one another. It's outworked in our our need for purpose. People who don't have purpose tend to die. God, of course, is purposeful. He's got a purpose for the whole of human history. And one of the things that makes us different to the rest of creation is that we're also moral beings because God has given us the freedom to make choices. That's all all being a moral being means. It doesn't mean we're good, necessarily. But what it means is we've been given the capacity to make choices just as God makes choices and the Bible records many of his choices. So it's no small thing, is it? That here we are, made in his image, carrying his character, but also operating 
as His representatives on earth through this quality of ours which is called dominion. Ruling over everything that God placed in the earth. But if you move on to Genesis chapter 2, we see that God wasn't finished when he gave us dominion. Because he's also made us accountable for the way in which we exercise our dominion. He's also made us accountable for how we exercise our dominion. In the Genesis 2, chapter 7, uh, Genesis, sorry, Genesis 2, verses 7 and 8. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Going down to verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, or make him a helper comparable to him. So, one, men and women are expected by God to work together in the exercise of this dominion that God has given us. Way back there in Genesis 1, the man and the woman are in the garden and their role is to tend and keep her. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for man is Adam, A-D-A-M, and for earth is Adama, A-D-A-M-A. Such a close relationship etymologically, but also a close relationship in the vision of God. Tending and keeping doesn't mean preserving. God never intended that Adam and Eve would preserve the garden as it was. In a way, he couldn't do that if he had created us in his image. Because if God wanted us to preserve what was in the garden, then we wouldn't be able to exercise our creative capacities. And as God is creative, so too are we. If you have a look at the, the Hebrew words there for tending and keeping, they actually carry connotations of developing. What did God want to happen? God wanted to see Eden spread to cover the whole of the earth, but also he wanted to see the earth populated with people just like him. He wanted to see the earth populated with people just like him. Well, we know it didn't quite work out like that, but the point I'm making is dominion comes with responsibility or accountability. So dominion itself endues us with power and with authority over everything that God created. But in Genesis 2, God holds us accountable for the way in which we exercise dominion. And it's not just about the natural environment. It's the way in which we exercise dominion over everything God put in the earth. God's heart was that this garden be developed, that it spread to cover the whole of the earth, but also as the garden expanded to cover the whole of the earth, so too the earth will be populated with people who carry his image 
and who bear dominion in a responsible way. And we know that through history we haven't done a particularly good job of that. And I suspect that one of the reasons is that we've done it on our own. Remember the story of the Tower of Babel? What was God's problem with that? Humankind decided that they could do it. They could build a tower that would stretch right up to the heavens. But I want to point you to something in Genesis chapter 3 that I believe we often miss. And the reason we often miss it is that the focus in, in Genesis chapter 3 is on original sin because that's where the sin of Adam and Eve is recorded when they disobeyed God and they ate of the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden to them. And so that, in a sense, we go back to chapter 3 to explain everything that's wrong in the world. But there's something in chapter 3 which is really important that we shouldn't overlook. And in verses 8 and 9, or perhaps 10 as well, this is what we read. And they, this is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He was ashamed, but that's not the point I want to make. The point I want to make is this. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we see that God was in the habit of walking in the garden in the cool of the day and simply conversing with Adam and Eve. Now, of course, he would have known where they were hiding. He didn't really even need to ask the question. But what I draw from this is that in Genesis chapter 3, we have the assurance that God wants to be with us as we responsibly carry out the dominion that is conferred upon us. In chapter 1, God gives us dominion. Just like a, a king might give to a prince dominion over all the land. God gives us dominion, a royal delegation. But in doing so, he also holds us accountable. But he's such a good God that he doesn't leave it to us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to walk with us. And I believe, and I know you've heard me say this many times before, that prayer is the equivalent of walking in the garden with God in the cool of the day and simply having a conversation. People, if they ask me how long do I pray each day, I say, oh, not very long. 
Jeanette and I often take communion together in the morning. And um, if it's a long communion, it might take 10 minutes. If it's a short communion, it might take three minutes. But then I can also say, I pray all day. Because I've cultivated the habit of walking with God and simply conversing. We don't have to have magnificent words in our prayer. We don't have to discipline ourselves to spending the first two hours of every morning on our knees. It's a good thing if you want to do that, by the way. It's a good thing. But we don't have to do that. Uh, For years and years and years in Pentecostal circles, there's been this idea that you should pray for an hour each day. Remember when the disciples fell asleep and Jesus said, What? Could you not stay awake and pray for one hour? And the whole kind of doctrine has been built up around that. It says you've got to pray for an hour a day. Well, I'm not persuaded. But what I am persuaded about is that God longs to simply walk with us and talk with us. He never, ever gave us dominion for us to exercise without reference to Him. He's not the kind of God who would make us accountable and then then give us no guidance in terms of how we are to undertake our dominion in a responsible way. Adam and Eve felt ashamed but see we don't have to because of what Jesus did on the cross for us there is no shame we do not have to feel naked before God we do not have to hide no matter how bad we might feel no matter how much other people might point the finger at us and tell us we're no good or we've done wrong we have the freedom through Jesus Christ to walk with God and converse with Him. Folks, we don't have to do this on our own. Because we've got a God who promises to be with us always. You know the Great Commission in Matthew 28? And it's expressed in a slightly different way in the book of Mark. But some years ago, I suddenly realised that there were parallels between this story in, in Genesis, in Genesis 1, 2 and 3, and uh, the Great Commission that we read in Matthew 28. From verse 18, we read, And Jesus came and spoke to them, the disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you know what? God's heart, that the earth would be filled with the Garden of Eden, 
and filled with people like him has never changed. And this is a, an analogue, if you like, a parallel to the Genesis story. Because Jesus, one, he says, I have all authority. And two, he says, I will be with you. And of course, in, in other verses, we see that he actually confers his authority upon us. What's that? That's dominion. And then he says, go. And that actually literally means in going about your daily business, in whatever you do, make disciples. And, and the Greek word for nations there is ethnos, which just, it really simply means groups of people. So they, they could be national groups, they could be people in your own workplace, they could be friends, they could be people in your neighbourhood. Go, in going about your normal activities, make disciples. What's God wanting to do here? He's wanting to see kingdom, and there are parallels between Eden, the Garden of Eden, and the kingdom. He wants to see it spread to cover the whole of the earth, and he wants the earth to be filled with people like him who are exercising their imageness in God and who are exercising dominion responsibly, walking and conversing with God every day. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And what we read in Matthew 28 is such a close parallel with what we read in Genesis 1, 2 and 3. God's heart has never, ever changed. Let us make man in our image. God longs to see the earth filled with people who know they are image bearers, who understand that as God is creative, so too are they, who understand that as God is relational, so too are they, who understand that as God has purpose, so too they have purpose, and who understand that as God is a moral being, so too we are moral beings and we have the capacity, indeed the right, to make choices and the most important choice we make of course is the choice to become followers of Jesus Christ and to join with him in this great commission of going and making disciples of all the nations I mentioned a little earlier that the Hebrew words around tending and keeping have connotations of development it's interesting, isn't it, that the Bible actually starts in a garden and ends in a city. We talk about the new Jerusalem. And although that might have many other meanings, it's also consistent with the idea that because God has made us as creative beings, we have the capacity to develop the garden into a city, literally as well as figuratively. And part of our, our dominion is to wisely use the resources that God has placed in the earth to build good cities. On Friday, I was at a, at, at a seminar Friday morning at uh, Burley Heads. It was led by an American 
whom I'd never met before. His name is Mark Belisles. And he got a vision many years ago and there were prophetic words over him about this, this, this meaning of the Great Commission. And he, he's been all over the world. And the history books don't record it. And most people in the church are not aware of it because he's a very modest man and he doesn't write lots of books and go on television and so on. But he's been making disciples because he's been connecting with major political leaders, uh, particularly in the lower income countries where people are far more open to things of the spirit. But we can all do it. He, he understood dominion, accountability, and importantly, God's desire to walk with him and converse with him. If I can give you any encouragement today, can I encourage you to understand prayer as the parallel of God's habit in the Garden of Eden and of the habit of Adam and Eve to simply talk to God, to chat with God. And uh, I suppose if somebody followed me around for a day or two or a week, they'd probably think I'm mad because I am in conversation with God most of the time. When somebody cuts me off in the traffic, most of the time I say, Lord, bless them. I don't curse them. If I have a near miss, I say, thank you, Lord, for what didn't happen. Some of you know a little bit of my history. I could have been dead. But I'm not. Rarely a day goes by when I don't talk to God and tell him how grateful I am that I'm still on this earth. I'm surrounded by a wonderful family um, through circumstances that nobody could predict. My little granddaughter Evangeline, she had, had to spend the night with me last night because her mum was in Toowoomba and her dad had to go to work. And I know her dad felt bad and her mum felt bad, but I felt good. Because we had fun. And, and I went to bed thinking, Lord, thank you. I just talk to the Lord all the time. I can be going to work some days and I say, Lord, I don't know which lane I should drive in today because I don't want to get caught up in accidents. I don't want to get held up by breakdowns. I've got a lot of stuff I need to do. And most of the time, I just get this little thing, middle lane, Left lane, right lane, and off I go. And yeah, I talk to God about the big things as well. One day I'll tell you about the process of coming out of public universities into a Christian university environment. But I, I remember saying to God, well, and what am I supposed to do? Am I, am I supposed to give up a role that I loved and where I really felt God was using me and go and do something else. And I remember God saying to me, 
you've got a project over Christmas and your project is to go through all your prayer and Bible studies and write down everything you've ever written in there about the possibility of moving into this different role. And that's what I did. Over a period of 20 months, I came to realise, yep, it was time to move on. I was convinced by then because I'd done a lot of walking and talking with God. So it matters. And he cares about tiny little things that might be insignificant. Tiny little things. Because he loves us. He made us in his image. Now, because I didn't prepare this, I don't really know how to finish it. <laughs> and I do remember some years ago when I taught at Bible college, I used to say to my students, you need to know how to start and you need to know how to finish. I mean, who sat through sermons where the pastor said, I'm nearly finished. And 15 minutes later, I've just got one more verse to go. And 20 minutes later, I am. Well, I don't want to do that today. So I am going to finish, even though I didn't prepare my finish. But I just want to encourage you, understand that the God who created the universe, the all-powerful, all-wise, always-present God, has given you dominion over everything that he placed in the earth. He's also made you accountable for the way in which you exercise that dominion but he's not about to leave you on your own as you've exercised it. And reflect upon the parallel between Matthew 28, 18 onwards, and that story of the Garden of Eden in Genesis. God's heart has never changed. He wants to see Eden, now his kingdom, fill the earth wants to see the whole of it filled with people like him. And he's not going to leave us alone to do it. Because Jesus says, Lo, take note, I will be with you always. God bless you. If anybody would like some prayer, I'd love to pray with you. But if you're all okay, then zip out the back and enjoy some good food and some good fellowship during our community time. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here this morning.